Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. We're brought to you by You Can't Make This Up, a new podcast from Netflix that takes a look behind the scenes of the documentaries and true stories everyone's talking about, including Making a Murderer, Wild Wild Country, Evil Genius, Amanda Knox, and the Academy Award-winning film Icarus. What does that sound like? Uh, I don't want to say. Join podcasters, journalists, and comedians as they chat with creators to get an exclusive look into their process, explore the stories they left out, and find answers to your burning questions. You can't make this up. Available on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast destination. Go listen, subscribe, and review today. Evelyn and Bobby's women-led Intimates company creates beautiful, purposeful products to make women's lives better. They've created the best underwear ever, combining unique softness with smooth, flat seams that offer a fit so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing them. Evelyn and Bobby comes in three silhouettes and one size that fits many with four-way stretch that moves with you. Visit EvelynBobby.com and use Crime to get a free pair of underwear with any purchase. That's a $28 value only when you use code Crime at EvelynBobby.com. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about serial, true crime, pop culture. And this week in Serial Episode 6, Sarah and Emmanuel show us that even when you win a case against police brutality, it's still pretty freaking hard to get justice. And we look at a serial killer through the eyes of his daughter in the new podcast, Happy Face. Joining me to get all that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and all-around great baseball dude, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Rebecca, so you have become a real baseball wife as we're in the postseason, huh? I have become a baseball-tolerant wife, and I will say that he would have caught that ball had that fan not interfered. I know, I, I have know. no skin in the game, and I agree that that's the case. The World Series starts on Tuesday. Ugh. Okay, I have to like power through that, huh? Yeah, you will. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Good evening, Rebecca. I am uh, using my cats in a new capacity <laughs> to help me watch scary movies as we near Halloween. <laughs> you mentioned before we started recording that you're watching that, what is it called, The Haunting of Hill House? Uh, the Haunting of, of Hill House. And um, it's so scary that I have to have both Felix and Rocky with me on the bed when I'm watching and it. And you're 
hiding behind your cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. As if they're not going to eat you the minute that you're dead. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you never know. They might. They are They are pretty piggy, so yeah. <laughs> they might just what do that. What color is the kitty litter turn when that happens? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's still green, so. <laughs> and finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the brilliant author behind the novels known as the City Trilogy, and our very own Patreon Book Club podcast commandant, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Here I am. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a couple of quick uh, items that I wanted to bring up at the start of the show before we talk about cereal. First of all, I do have a correction to make. Okay. Last week on the program, we were talking about the horrific long sentences that criminals in America get versus other countries. And Toby mentioned Anders Breivik, who shot like 70 people and also bombed parliament. And I said, oh, that was Sweden, right? It was not Sweden. It was Norway. And that was totally my fault. Thank you, Norway fans. Yes. We are we from all all one of you? Oh, <laughs> but no. Scandinavia has, has spoken. Listen. I, I think I actually got two tweets about it. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, was, it was all me. It was totally me. In the back of my mind, I didn't know it was Norway. I said, Sweden, I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just so you know, Norway, I always root for you guys in the Winter Olympics in Nordic skiing. Always. Always. So That's all that matters. I'm hoping that makes up for it a little bit. Uh, second, I wanted to mention an amazing post on our Facebook page this week. It is a true Crime Writers on Missed Connection. And I just want you guys to bear with me when I read this. This is from our listener, Marika. And she writes, Okay, I stopped at the office depot. I was listening to Crime Writers on in the car. And a few cars away, I hear someone else doing the same. I run over and ask, Are you listening to Crime Writers on? <laughs> he stares at me and says, Yeah. He stares a little more and adds, I think Bricker's right. I'm not fe feeling cereal this year. I say, yeah, and I think In the Dark is vastly superior. He says, me too. <laughs> we both walk into the office depot and part ways. He needed post-its and I needed pens. In the inevitable rom-com that will develop from this moment, I'm hoping free-spirited wild child me will be played by Drew Barrymore and he will be played by button-down but always handsome Kyle Chandler. Sounds like she might need more than pens. <laughs> Wow. Yes. Toby Ball, did you ever imagine there would be such a romantic misconnection inspired by this stupid podcast? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my second question is, who's Kyle Chandler? What? 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 Even I know that, Toby. Jeez, Toby. Friday Night Lights. I don't Lights. think you know or else you'd be Lights. describing it. Um, oh, did you God. watch that one in Key West, where uh, the Florida Keys? Bloodline. That Bloodline? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. he's in so many things. Yeah, so he's, he's like that sort of all-American guy. Argo. So handsome. So handsome, yes. So handsome. handsome. It, like, like supremely handsome. Mm -hmm. He was originally on a show a gajillion years ago, a very short-lived show called Homefront, mm -hmm. which I think I'm mm -hmm. the only person in America who remembers watching. <laughs> which is why it's not on anymore. It was like returned like World War II soldiers. It was like very like cheerful uh, mid 20th century show. Anyway, I really liked it. And he was the, he was on that the first time I ever saw him on. He's wonderful. So, Toby, shut your mouth if you don't know who Kyle Chandler Boy, is. Right. Well, beat him. I'm just I'm just happy that the aphrodisiac that is Laura Bricker <laughs> facilitated that conversation. You know what? 
She if if she'd had the pheromones, she would have been all set. No, dang. And that would not have been a missed connection if she had had that on. Oh, no. It worked for our love life. That's yes. true. That's true. And we did, by the way, get lovely feedback from Jane Marie and the folks at The Dream about our like pretty critical but all-around thumbs-up review of their podcast last week. They were very lovely about it, and I'm still a big fan of that show. All right, one other thing I wanted to mention. We have two fans of the show who this week have created incredible pieces of uh, Crime Writers on Inspired merchandise, uh, neither one of which, by the way, we make a dollar from. Yeah, that's so fine. Yeah. It's totally fine. Uh, one of them is an incredible set of prayer candles featuring Kevin and I. <laughs> you have to explain this. Yes, it's an artist on Etsy who makes these candles. She, I think she delivers a dollar from each candle to that, per that, can, that yeah. charity that um, helps. And the backlog. And the backlog, yes, yeah. which is wonderful. But there's a Rabia candle. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith Morris. Keith Morrison from Dateline. Morrison, yeah. And wow. um, you and me. And your hands, are very, your hands are very tiny. Yes. <laughs> the murderinos. <laughs> and your head is very big. That's what makes it funny looking. I know. I could use that for my Halloween decorations. <laughs> I could put it out on the front steps. I'm just saying this is going to make a hell of a Yankee <laughs> swap gift. It is. As will, by the way, the incredible Crime Writers on Squad tote bags that another fan has put up for sale mm-hmm. that are amazing. I've actually ordered two. I think she's doing like a special free shipping international for the month of October. She's from London, yeah, right? She's from London and she did the promo code CRIME. She'll have free shipping. I'm not going to say that the company name is not an advertiser, but like, I love the tote bags. One of them says like, Rebecca and Kevin and Laura and Toby. And the other one says, Lavoie and Flynn and Bricker and Ball. And they're awesome. And I just want to say- George and John- Ringo. You can find it on our on our Twitter feeds. Our there. Twitter feed, yeah, on our Facebook yeah. discussion group. We've shared it there. It's pretty great. And if any other fans of the show out there want to make some fan merchandise, and if it's awesome, like we'll totally talk about it on the podcast, yes. <laughs> even though we don't make a dollar. We're just so happy people listen to this stupid podcast. You know, We just don't like it when people like steal our books and make a podcast out of it. Or when people uh, like you know use our actual art on things. That's not cool. But like talking about our show, that's fine. Yeah. That's cool. Actually, there's probably one more announcement we have. Have to make what's that? Oh, Lara, your audiobook oh. is finally out. Yes, oh, yeah. Oh, my god, I know that's so exciting. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, it's been uh, you know, it was sold, the rights were sold about a year ago, over a year ago, I think. And that's how the world of publishing goes. It's um, now available on Audible, audible.com slash crime. You mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and what is the name of your book, Lara? You didn't say it. Oh, I'm sorry. So, the, this is the true crime book, Lie After Lie, and it is about the um, guy who was a radio DJ talk show host who was leading a double life and poisoned his wife with antifreeze in Gatorade. Mm. Um, so, as we enter the Halloween season, it's just a reminder to beware of those green drinks. Just goes to show, <laughs> unlike every fucking stupid crime show in the world, poisoning is not a lady's crime. It is not. That is a bullshit sexist thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as we do, it's time to talk about cereal. Should we do that? Let's do it. Let's do it. From This American Life in WBEZ Chicago, it's cereal. One courthouse told week by week. I'm Sarah Koenig. On this week's episode of Serial, episode six, You in the Red Shirt, Sarah and Emmanuel announced the remainder of this season will follow individuals wrapped up in the court system that they've examined so far. This includes the tale of Jesse Nickerson. The East Cleveland police officers who beat him were swiftly fired and criminally convicted, but he remains the target of an intimidation campaign. 
We make it to the bottom of this big hill that he says the officers threw him down, when Jesse stops, and he points at something through the trees. Top of the hill, you see the police? Oh yeah, see the police. Way, way off in the distance, Jesse spotted a cop car, a black Ford Explorer, with police in block letters down the side. Jesse had been calmly and casually reciting details of this alleged assault. But now, he's uncomfortable. That's the same truck I was in that night. That's the same truck I was in when they uh, did that to me. How do you know? Because <laughs> they only got one of them. So how can Jesse get a measure of justice when the city is too broke to pay a settlement and refuses to address the problems in their ranks? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> um, so one thing I want to put right out there, this is our first episode. This is episode six featuring Sarah's co-host, Emmanuel Jochi, in a lead role. I would yes. love your guys' thoughts about Emmanuel kind of leading the podcast as co-host. Kevin, what do you think about Emmanuel in this role? Oh, I, I think it's good. Um, right, he, he did have a supporting role, a significant supporting role in episode two. But I think he's you know positioned very well to be able to tell Jesse's story. And, you know, to be there for all of these, you know, you get to the end of it to like what ends up you think is a routine, yeah, a routine criminal appearance in court. And then, yeah, big plot twist. We'll get there. Laura, what do you think about Emmanuel? I like Emmanuel. He's pretty laid back. I have to say there was a scene where I was a little worried for Emmanuel and I was like, is Sarah going to have to go bail him out? Um, (laughs) But we'll get to that. I love Emmanuel Jochi. I'm just going to say it. I'm a fan if Serial were to do a spinoff serial that featured Emmanuel Jochi, I would be in and I would cover it on this podcast. I love his delivery. I love his accent. I love his attitude. And I love the way he does phone calls on tape. <laughs> did his arraignment happen already? Uh, according to the files, yes, it did. Was there like a bond set? We don't get that information out, sir. It, it should be public information, right? Sir, we don't get that information out on the telephone. Okay. And can I ask, can I just ask, why not? (laughs) That is how to do a phone call in a podcast, people. Now, we do hear at the beginning of this episode that this series is going to be taking a turn. It's going to be following people like Marijuana Cookie Kevin, who says that for him, the criminal justice system is like a bad relationship he can't get out of. I am really happy to hear that Serial is making this turn and is going to follow people. I think that is what this team does best. Toby, what about you? Do you like this turn the podcast is taking uh, at episode six, but probably halfway through the season? We don't really know, but I'm guessing it's about halfway. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that's fine. I mean, I, I like this episode more than most of the others. So mm-hmm. as, as always, it's a matter of what stories you pick, right? But um, for whatever reason, and, I, and I, I don't think it's just me, just from what I've seen on social media and stuff, it just seemed like the season wasn't clicking so far. So a little change of direction is probably a good idea. What do you think, Laura? I was happy. I mean, this is what I've been saying. You know, I wanted somebody to follow along with in an episode that I felt invested in, whose outcome I was kind of rooting for or wanting to know what happened to a person instead of jumping all around. I'm glad that we're now going to be following these cases. You know, in the big picture, it still feels to me like this season is a little bit disjointed, like we've got a lot of different information and maybe somehow this is, you know, just kind of a global look at criminal justice on a big and small scale. But for me, this episode, oh my God, I was like raging in my car when I was listening to this this morning. I was just getting madder and madder. So this this is uh, what I came for. So are we saying this is the return of the, the Brichter, Brichter Scale? scale. <laughs> oh yeah. 
and now I have boxing gloves. So watch out. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh great, she's doing yet another stupid fitness thing. Oh my god, we might have to make that a seven dollar Patreon. Jeez, oh, uh, so we need more of Laura's fitness, <laughs> fitness, fitness, fitness. Yeah, I can like box. So when I am now at boxing class on Tuesday morning, I'm gonna be like. Fuck East Cleveland. Fuck East Cleveland. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm going to just be like, really? And I'm going to be like wearing the jeans that I wore in high school by the end of this, if this continues. Well, let's talk about the main story of this episode. That is the story of Jesse Nickerson. In 2016, he was abused by two East Cleveland police officers. And the story is basically that he was arrested. And then after he was arrested, they took him out of his cuffs and took him to a city park and challenged him to a fight. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? <laughs> Pretty much. It's a guy who was like a professional football linebacker. What did you think of his story? And and you know it was corroborated later, so we know that it's true. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't doubt it. I'm I am also like a what the fuck was that all about? Mm. I mean, we have to talk a little more about the East Cleveland Police Department, but it's like I'd like to say that's the most fucked up thing I would hear in this podcast. Yeah. But that's nothing. Yeah. That's the starting off point. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's something to, and we've seen it in this series, of course, and in a ton of other stories about police officers abusing their authority, police officers shooting or harming unarmed black teenagers. And I can't even, and to hear that it's a systemic thing, they do it all the time. I just can't imagine in what world where you've taken this job and you've gone through training and you sort of have your putting on the uniform thing that you do every morning and then you get in your car with the logos on it with the flashing lights and you already have all this power. Like taking suspects to a park and saying like, let's fight, bro, would like be a thing? That's what's so horrifying because he says it was a tactic I had seen done before. Like, what? It's a tactic I'd see done. So, so like, he's not the only one doing this? Yeah, clearly not. It's like establishing the alpha on the street, though, right? I mean, that's that's the whole thing is we don't need guns. Yeah, it's super weird. Um, so we hear that one officer, Danae Dixon, we, we go to his sentencing. The prosecutor in that case is a woman, Ashley Kilbane. Dixon apologizes, saying, as Laura said, it's a tactic he's seen before. He gets two years in jail And then right after that sentencing, the prosecutor turns to the victim, Jesse Nickerson, and says, yeah, you need to stay out of town. Like, you can't be here anymore. You can't live where you live. You can't go where you go because now it's going to be on you that, by the way, you reported this crime that people were convicted for. And it's on you now. Laura, I'm sure you have feelings about this. I just I thought this was absolutely insane. And this was a small community. I think that was the first thing I, I, as I was listening to 17,000 people, that's actually about the same size as my community. And I'm thinking, you know, in a a community that size, yeah, it's a small community. You do know everybody, but that, you know, this guy's doing the right thing. He's going forward. And the prosecutor says, you need to get out of East Cleveland. Like, are you kidding me? And then when, you know, Emmanuel is looking into this case with him and this is the guy, you know, he went to the park with Emmanuel and, I don't know why everybody seems to be eating Chipotle food in this episode, but there seemed to be a lot of that uh, going have on. Have you ever been to a Chipotle, Laura? It's pretty I freaking have, awesome. <laughs> I just, I was like, like they, it featured twice in like two minutes, like Chipotle. Um, but I think it was just the fact that, you know, they're at this park doing this interview for this podcast and then the police officer starts circling around them in the car 
And and you recognize, yeah, you know, he probably would have been safer if he'd left East Cleveland. But like, that's his home for crying out loud. Like, what the f- I just can't even believe that something like this is just so I mean, I can, but it just enrages me that this this is going on and and they're allowing it to continue to this level. See, it's like the mirror image of the no snitching episode, right? Where if on the street, you snitch, you at least you know that the guys in the neighborhood are going to come after you. You know, when you do yeah. something that jams up a cop, we're supposed to believe, okay, yes, all of law enforcement is going to get behind the bad, a- I mean, uh, uh, getting rid of the bad apple. But it's sort of the same fear built into it. It's trying to say, we're going to punish you for essentially snitching, for telling, for, make, for, for making this retribution happen. It happens on the street in a different way, but it is, you, you end up having people that are caught you know, between a rock and a hard place. We want you to do it to other criminals. We don't want you to do it to us, well, even when we're criminals. Well, I don't think anybody wants to be pointed out when they're doing something bad, you know? It's just a different, you know, power structure on... I, I even can't say it's different. I mean, it's essentially, it's essentially the same thing. Toby, you wrote something in your in your notes to me, which I'm really surprised that you wrote, given what we heard in this episode, okay? So I'm just going to call you out a little bit. You said... I do feel like we're not getting very much positive energy about the Cleveland police force. Surely it can't be as unremittingly negative as it is portrayed here. Toby, can you please defend that? (laughs) Uh, Well, I wasn't just talking about this episode. I was talking about like the entire series so far. My feeling about the East Cleveland thing, like the sense I at least got was not that this guy was like a bad apple in an otherwise good force and that that people would like shun him and right. be like, you're rightly put in jail. That just seemed like that was sort of, according to the way Jesse talks about it, it's like standing operating procedure. So they, they don't like being called out for how they do their jobs, basically. Not just Jesse, but the, but the former cop who goes to court and says, yeah, we all did this mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. This is the way it's done. But then, but then you have the but, witness tampering. Uh, right. Sorry. Well, you've got that. <laughs> but I was just thinking in terms of the totality that we've heard so far, it is like this relentlessly every cop is involved in something questionable or racist or or whatever. Is the Cleveland police force so corrupt that every single cop is this way? It seems unrepresentative in some ways. Like even in Flint Town, you know, where there was arguably a lot of bad stuff going on, there was a somewhat more nuanced look at who's who's in law enforcement. I mean, there were some people who were clearly I think doing the right thing and that doesn't seem to be represented at all in this. And I don't think necessarily this episode was the place to do it, but it does seem as though it has been, there hasn't been a whole lot of, I don't know if nuance is the word, but you know, they talk about like characters are interesting when they have sort of conflicting parts to their makeup. Mm -hmm. And what we're kind of getting out of this is just this like, East Cleveland seems like the absolute pits of it, but even like Cleveland proper, like every single law enforcement interaction seems to be negative. Am I am I missing something? Yeah, I think you missed the whole episode last week about Brian, the OK prosecutor. I mean, I, I think he's that, not a cop. Well, but he's part of the machine of this. No, but I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm with Toby on that. They're what ki- story would you tell about an OK cop? Like, what is the story there? Oh, here's somebody who just went and no, did their job. I no, mean, no, 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 no,
it's a pretty broad brush is what I think Toby is saying to, yeah. to say that every cop in Ohio Who said is that? corrupt. Who said that? In least Cleveland, they said that yes, because it sounds yeah. like it's true. Okay. East Cleveland sounds like what did <laughs> but, they but, say? But in Cleveland, it in felt general, like East East Cleveland had given up on basic governance. That was one of my favorite lines. Mm-hmm. Look, now I, I heard from a, a member of law enforcement from that area who provided some context f- for us. For one, East Cleveland, as you know, has no money, so guys who are good professional members of law enforcement do not want to take a job there because of that. It's got other issues, crime and this reputation, but that is not a desired place where where officers want to go. These officers are apoplectic that the only person that she could get to talk to them is Steve Loomis. Right. Because he is definitely not representative of what people think. But I think what Toby's saying is that, because this is what what I've heard, that there is, if you believe that there is an anti-cop undertone to some of this stuff there seems to be i don't want to say evidence of it but i think that you're not you're not wrong to feel that way because it does i don't want to say it's not balanced but those are the things that are being looked at and you know i'm going to say this this officer is a fan he agrees with us on almost all of the ob- observations we've had about different podcasts about Doug Evans and he agrees with us and all this other stuff. He just, just feels though, in particular, this serial season has just been anti-cop. I don't know if I agree with that, but I definitely see what he's seen. I disagree. I think this is telling a story. I think that when you say something is anti-cop because it's telling stories about the bad acts of cops, it's like saying that you are being anti prosecutor when you tell a story about Doug Evans you're not you're telling a story about what happened in that community you're telling us about what happened in this community and in this oh, community these, these stories have to be told in this I, yeah, community I, I wouldn't have picked anything else I'm sorry I'm sure there are wonderful well-meaning good acting cops but that's not where the stories are the stories are yeah, yeah. with the cops who are fucking up these communities that they're supposed to be protecting that's where right. the stories I, are well, I think they're I, showing I think- the breakdown of the system by by talking about those cops. And and you know, I'm thinking back to when we we did Flinttown, um, and we watched that. And remember the the cop who grew up in the neighborhood and was, you know, knew like one of the young guys he was arresting, like knew his parents. And so he was the one who was like, I don't want to leave. You know, so I maybe we'll hear some stories like that as this season goes, kind of the flip side to the police officers that are working in this area. But like you said, I think this is just showing sort of this, you know, this is where the system is is not working. That's right. I mean, I guess, like, I don't think it's fair to compare it with In the Dark. In the Dark was was taking a look at one case that had one prosecutor and what happened there. What this is saying is we're taking a look at one year in the Cleveland criminal justice system. It doesn't have to be story after story of cop hero but I think what we are getting is story after story of bad actor cops. If that's the intention of the show, then saying this is what we uncovered in a year in, in the Cleveland justice system where we're trying to show you a picture of the justice system, that's not really what they're, what they're trying to do in that case, which is fine. But don't, don't make it seem like it's a holistic perspective on what happens. What you're looking for is stuff that's going to piss people off, which is fine. And, you know, I tend to (laughs) get kind of crazy about police corruption and stuff, but it does strike me that it is, it's just relentlessly cops doing the worst things that you can think of them to do in certain situations. I I just want to point one thing out, and that is that in 
Season one of Serial, there was a lot of flack given when Undisclosed especially came out and like all these other reporting came out around the cops who invested in Non Syed's case. And it was like the Non Syed is guilter people are like, so we're supposed to believe that these police officers manipulated witnesses and lied and made up evidence and blah, blah, blah. And they did all of these things. Isn't it just so much more obvious that Anansi would be guilty? Guess what? It turns out that those Baltimore cops did that systemically all the time to tons of people. And the cops involved in Anansi's case in particular were the subject of multiple investigations for doing that exact thing. And even as recently as in the last year, we're seeing Baltimore cops who seem like otherwise nice guys with nice families who are probably just going to work and thinking they're doing their best job, literally planting drugs and then taking photos of said drugs as if it's evidence that they just found. There is, even among like these departments that have some good actors in them, there is a systemic problem. And I I feel for the cop that wrote to us, Kevin, like I understand like the pain he must be in when he hears stories like this. It must make him feel really bad that this is the brotherhood he's part of. But this is the brotherhood that he's part of. And in some of these cities, like we hear this whole episode about East Cleveland. It actually is top to bottom, side to side, totally fucked up. And that's the only experience the community has with it. Oh, no, he agrees with that. East Cleveland. (laughs) They all agree with that. I'm defending now the premise of this podcast that is being fulfilled, which is the we can't believe this is happening premise of this podcast. Like, and now I'm going to move on. Uh, In East Cleveland, not only are there no records, period, of any cops who have ever committed misconduct, including ones who have been convicted of said misconduct, but uh, we have a case. We hear about the story of Arnold Black. Oh, boy whose truck gets searched for no reason for drugs. Uh, A detective, Detective Hicks, who's super pissed off that Arnold is not a drug dealer. He's like actually mad at him. So mad at him that he punches him in the face multiple times and gives him brain damage, uh, brings him to the precinct, locks him in a room, basically a cleaning closet for four days. He has (sighs) to pee in a locker He gets one carton of milk to drink in those four days, nothing to eat. P.S. We think this is a one-off case of misconduct. Oh, and then it turns out there's also video that's been altered, and the mayor already knew about this whole thing. Uh, Laura, do you have thoughts about what's going on there? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is, I think, where my rage just reached like a new level, like volcano level. This sounds like something when you hear these stories of like an American tourist who goes overseas and to some country where they're, you know, and, get you know, gets locked up in a prison. This does not sound like something that should be happening in the United States when you hear this, like a freaking closet with lockers and like nobody is is, is checking on this guy. He's like pounding on the door um, when his girlfriend tries to find him. They're like, oh, um, they're all mysterious. Oh, he's under investigation. You can't talk to him. Like, what the f- I can't even like fathom. I I just hope once I see, I can't even speak. I'm so angry about this. I mean, it was just horrible. Like this poor guy. And then, then not only this, then he gets out of this stupid closet and then he's in like the County lockup. And when he comes out, his head is so swollen. He looks like he has a helmet on. Mm. And I'm thinking like, so he's in the jail and nobody thinks this guy should see a freaking doctor. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with people? Like, what is wrong with people? I think we find out. I mean, this this Arnold Black um, sideways turn in the episode, like there's this like 10 minute 
thing that she she sort of interrupts Emmanuel's story. It's like, but wait, let me tell you mm-hmm. the other story. Like, trust me, it'll yeah. be important later. And she tells this whole thing. I don't think she said that, right? She just threw it out there. And it's again, like, it's like, but first, let me just tell you about it, yeah. this other thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you think that it's going to be just like another, like a, yeah. an incident, right? Well, then we go back to Jesse. And we know, and I think one of the reasons why the Arnold Black story was so interesting is we hear that Arnold Black is like not a person who has run ins with the police. He's like just a guy mm-hmm. who's driving a green truck. We go back to Jesse, who uh, has another run in with the cops. Um, he tells Emmanuel that he got beaten up at a block party on the 4th of July. Oh, and by the way, there's body cam footage of it. And oh, by the way, in that body cam footage, it's very clear the cops know his name. Stand up, Jesse. Now, what the fuck you just do that, man? No, Jesse, you did it to yourself. You're on camera, sir. You did it to yourself, Jesse. You fell. We watched you fall on your own. So then we go to Jesse's arraignment. This, of course, is the guy who's been scared to be in his own town because he helped put this cop in prison for two years for actually committing a crime, by the way. Emmanuel's at the courthouse with him, and then Jesse just disappears. Court finished. Still no Jesse. Even stranger, his case had never been called. I tried his phone, but it went straight to voicemail. Called his girlfriend, Ashley. No answer. I searched the whole building. The hallways, the bathrooms, the parking lot. Jesse was nowhere. But why? Kevin, what do you think of this part of the podcast? Emmanuel's in the scene, doing his reporting, and the thing actually happens right there. It, yeah. Here's the tension that I didn't get from the last episode. I mean, this last 10-minute stretch... I thought was was fantastic. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, you, you certainly get the frustration about, you know, here's the Kafka-esque system where Emmanuel can't find this guy. And you wonder, I'm sure that this guy's on the inside must feel it even even worse. Uh, again, you're you're focusing on bad thing number one. And it isn't until like, oh, you finally get to Jesse and it's like, man, can you believe bad thing number one? And he's like, forget number one, number two. And you're like, holy shit. Hmm. That was a great cliffhanger. Toby, did you feel a sense of dread like I did when we hear Emmanuel basically like trying to find Jesse? He disappears. You know, he had gone home to change his clothes and then he came back. So Emmanuel knows that like he's planning on showing up for his hearing, but he just never does. He disappears. His girlfriend doesn't know where he is. And then we find out he got arrested. And then we find out he was somehow sent to the hospital because he somehow hit his head when he was arrested. In terms of the storytelling here, like I had like a a pit in my stomach sense of dread when I heard this stuff. What about you? I'm curious to know your reactions to this section of the podcast. Yeah, well, I think it was the strongest part of the whole season. I, I think that's been the one moment where you kind of felt the same sort of adrenaline aspect that you did sometimes during season one. It had me thinking about a year or two ago or, or maybe even longer when uh, I think the Chicago Tribune did a series where they found basically like an off-the-books interrogation facility that the Chicago police had and where you know people would basically disappear in the system Ugh. and then like reappear later and it would turn out they were in this one place that was sort of not officially recognized. Mm. Again, that that's where stuff gets starts getting pretty scary is when people disappear and you don't know what's going on. And then you kind of add to that this sort of willful, belligerent unhelpfulness on the part of like the clerical staff. 
when he, when he's trying to find out more. So yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 chilling. Laura, what did you think of that willful belligerence on the part of everybody that Emmanuel tried to get information from? And they're basically uh, misrepresenting the policies of the police department and of the courts and of the public records by saying that's we're not allowed to tell you. That's just not true. As, uh, as a private detective who has to make these kinds of phone calls, like, mm-hmm. what did you think? This reminded me of my reporting days um, when I was like covering courts for the newspaper. And I, I was having like PTSD flashbacks to when I would go to a certain court and ask for documents. And if you had like, the, there was this one really bitchy court clerk. She was like, used to throw files at you. Um, <laughs> What's her name? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't tell you. I think she's actually <laughs> dead now. But um, <laughs> Oh, then you can tell us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I was like, I was thinking, you know, this is this is something I have been through. When I used to go in the, and I say, can I have those files? Uh, I don't think so. Well, they're public record. I mean, these are public records. And, and the thing is, like, Emmanuel knows that. Um, most reporters have been trained in that, you know, they know free, you know, what you have access to. And well, th- no, that violates his, um, what did they say that violates his personal privacy or yeah. something? I'm yeah. like, um, no, that's, he's been arrested. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be in the police log in the newspaper for everyone to read, but probably I can't tell not. You. Yeah. yeah. Probably so not that, in that town. Probably not. Yeah, that yeah. was crazy. It, yeah. I just, I couldn't believe, uh, you know, but you know what this makes me in the bigger picture of things is, you know, this is a community where they were talking about, you know, the poverty rate and the percentage of people living at the poverty level and the fact that they just didn't have funds to pay all these, you know, lawsuits that were being filed against them. But that also means they don't have the funds or the resources to fix a problem like this. Right. And and that, I think, is is why this is sort of like a cancer eating out at that department. And that's the reason why they're untouchable. Because yeah. what do you have? You can no sue them all you want. And they're like, we're broke. Well, what else can you do to them? You know, I mean, if you're lucky, you can get one and and prosecute him one by one and and maybe send them to prison at the risk of, you know, getting all of the the you know, complaining witnesses, you know, beat up and thrown in a locker. But I mean, it's this is they've become untouchable by by reason of misfortune. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite lines in the podcast is, is when Sarah says, um, when you agree to get paid peanuts, you get peanuts. Mm-hmm. Really, is it's kind of is kind of what it comes yeah. down to. All right, well, let let's just talk about the final moments of this episode. Um, we get that really gut punchy twist at the end. You know, we've heard of this story of Arnold Black. We've heard that he was locked in a very specific room, cleaning closet with tall lockers for four days. And then at the end of this episode, we hear Jesse finally getting tracked down by Emmanuel. And Jesse's like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe what happened to me. Listen, 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 listen. When I was in the jail, when I was in the jail, they put me in a holding cell, right? It ain't nothing but lockers. There's no bathroom. So I'm in this room. I'm in this room for two days where I have to be, where I'm forced to use my sock to wipe my ass. Like I'm some type of like like I'm some type of hooligan or something. I had to literally piss and shit in the locker. You got to pee in what? I had to piss and shit in a locker room. Kevin, what did you think of the twist at the end of the episode? Well, like I said, I mean, I thought that that was uh, that was uh, fantastic, and I think it was set up. So well, and and uh, just to step back very briefly, we talk about all the other episodes and people were like, I don't get this, and where is that, and how come we haven't heard that? This reminds me so much of a book, the way you would set it up. You'd give you something, and then you'd leave it, mm-hmm. and you'd leave it alone, 
and something else because you're going to come back to it and start connecting all of these things. The lockers are that detail, right? The locker was that detail. Yeah. Sure. And there are people, you know, that we've heard from that we're supposed to hear from again, and we probably will. And it's I, I don't think it's by a mishmash of, of what I, I think they've shown so far. They're being very creative about how they're pulling them all back together. That was a sprint right there, a great example. The rest of it's a marathon. Well, let's do what we do and, and give a letter grade to this episode, episode six of season three of Serial. What do we all think? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Give the episode a letter grade and briefly explain why you are assigning it that grade. I'm going A with this one because not only did it bring back my rage, my exercising is going to go through the roof. And um, now I have some people that I actually feel invested in listening to. And um, I'm going to go dismantle that locker room with my boxing gloves. Are you going to ask Jesse to come move in with you and get the hell out of East Cleveland? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Toby Ball, what about you? What, what letter grade do you give episode six of season three of Serial? I give it like a B. It was going to be a little bit lower, but I thought the ending was really strong. And, I, you know, I think the optimism about the next episode kind of bumps it up a little bit. So I think a, a solid B, verging on B+. Yeah, I'm with Lara. I'm going to give this episode an A. This is really the first time since the first season of Serial that we've heard a real-time reporting incident. I mean, one of the reasons why season one was so compelling was because even though we know as producers and reporters that it wasn't really in real time, a lot of it, some of it was. We heard Sarah discover things on the phone. We heard things transpire on mic. And that happened in this episode. And there was that long aside in the middle about that second case. And you're sort of wondering, like, we're getting this long soliloquy. And it's because she they really want to drive home that something actually happened during the reporting of this. And, and it wasn't perfect, but it was an A for me, for sure. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm giving it the same grade. And in, in A, uh, it it was, I think, probably would have been, a, again, a little lower grade had the ending not been so fantastic. It was a, a really interesting story all the way through. Just nailed it. And with not only is it surprising, but also, well, in Laura's words, enraging. And yeah. I know I know Laura is engorged with rage. <laughs> Engorged? <laughs> Engorged with rage. Wow. And the only thing that can calm her down is a nice glass of wine. Am I right? Well, yes, that is correct. <laughs> and that is why, Laura, we're going to get you a subscription to First Leaf. Oh, boy. Just Laura? Just Laura. Damn Just it. me. Just, well, anybody actually can try First Leaf. Gives you great wine at a price point that even the city government of East Cleveland can afford. There you go. You know, a lot of people say, hey, you paid what for that? wine and you can say well you don't have to tell them but you could say hey <laughs> i went to first leaf and i got my introductory three pack of wines three bottles five dollars each Oof. like these are yeah these are like really expensive Great wine. wines. gas station prices yeah exactly <laughs> it's pretty easy to do you go to first leaf you answer three quick questions about your wine drinking preferences and they create this introductory three pack just for you based on your flavor profile you let them know what you like and what you really like and they're able to keep refining that so every time you get the wines that you really love sign up with our link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer it's three bottles of wine for only $15 plus free shipping. That's not all. If you rate these three wines, you're going to get an extra $10 off your next box. So go to tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. Crime. That's tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. Crime. 
What else you got, Kevin? If there's something else that could get Laura, you know, out of her rage funk, yeah, it would be the latest Fab Fit Fun Box. Oh, that can get anybody. Oh that can even make Toby feel better about the portrayal of cops in this season of Serial. <laughs> I think we got to get everybody <laughs> a Fab Fit Fun Box. The Fall Editor's Box yep. is here. And remember, you know, these boxes come out four times a year. Oh, I know. Plus the special box. I can't it, wait yeah, for right, it four right. times a year. You get full-size fashion, beauty, home, fitness, and wellness products for just $49.99 a box. This time, the Fall Editor's Box, you get the uh, Spongel Body Buffer mm-hmm. in yep, Freesia Pear, understated mm-hmm. leather, and free people eye mask, yep. leather X. Yep. I, I have used the eye mask. If my rage is so great that I can't contain it, there's a part that comes out you can put in the eye, like the refrigerator or the freezer to really cool you down. They also have the Summer and Rose Brittany Tote, mm-hmm. two Glam Glow Bubble Sheet Masks. Which you've used on your face. I have. I look pretty good. <laughs> and lots of other great things. You can sign up for FabFitFun today to get your fall box. The FabFitFun fall box is in limited supply, and they it. always sell out. So use our code CRIME Hi. and get $10 off your first box. Go to FabFitFun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well-lived. Use promo code CRIME, CRIME. to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 of products. For only $39.99. FabFitFun.com. Use code CRIME for $10 off. Moving on. Happy Face is the new podcast from How Stuff Works. It features host Lauren Bright Pacheco and subject Melissa Moore. Melissa is the daughter of Keith Hunter Jesperson, better known as the Happy Face Killer. In the podcast, Melissa and her family try to come to terms with the horror and confusion of being related to a man they didn't really know. As a young girl, I was 11 years old, and my parents had just divorced. And my dad was now living with his girlfriend in Portland, Oregon. And this was my first summer vacation where I stayed at a different home than my my childhood home. And the moment I walked in that house, I felt like I wasn't alone, that there was energy there, that there were spirits there, that I was being watched in every room, in every room. Melissa attempts to investigate her father's crimes, sort of, and confronts her own fears, (laughs) sort of, about what traits she may have sort of inherited from her serial killer father. And a bunch of other stuff happens with music. We will be talking about plot points from Happy Face. So if you want to skip to our spoiler free review of this podcast, just look for the time code in our show notes. All right. I'm just going to tell you guys the note I made listening to episode one, about two thirds of the way through the episode. I wrote this note and I just want you guys to see if you can answer this question for me. It's a three-parter. What am I listening to? Who is this talking? What is going on? (laughs) I had the first question. Okay. I don't have an answer for the first question. (laughs) Laura, what am I listening to? Who's talking and what is going on? I had kind of a similar reaction. Like, I think if I hadn't read ahead of time what this podcast was about and who was in it, um, I would have been even more lost in that first episode than I was because, you know, you could kind of piece the two women, they're talking, there's some history stuff about the father. And then it was, I feel like we needed this like nut graph in the beginning, like what, you You know, Well, I like I was like, what? The, like, I don't know anything about the happy face killer. I don't know anything about this person. And I'm like, 
what is what is happening here? But you know, it had so much potential, but I just felt like it was so disorganized. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, very confusing. Yeah, and and, and Toby, as you point out, at the beginning of the podcast, there's almost like an intimation that there might be something paranormal going on. Oh, yeah. It was weird. <laughs> so I, and I don't want to get too far ahead of the conversation, but I did like, so the, the beginning with that, I guess she f- feels like she gets touched or something. And then she tells her father, father, ah, ignore it. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> um, and there is, and I think maybe her mom at one point says that she thinks that there was, you know, something looking out for us, making sure we were safe which seems crazy when you just married a serial killer. So, but I think it's really confusing because they also talk about how there was like this presence and like bad stuff would happen. And, you know, I, I thought that part of the podcast was, I don't know if she's realizing it or just sort of recounting how what seemed like this sort of presence that caused bad things to happen to him was in fact her father mm. doing things like chopping up fish in front of the door of their cabin to attract bears or, you know, setting stuff on fire. Yeah. Um, if you're going to go with that, with like the trying to compare like her father's sort of mentally ill, endangering her family as a presence, then also talking about like some supernatural presence just seemed to me to be like needlessly confusing especially when you lead off with the supernatural thing. It was just odd. I think Stefan could do a a review of this. This podcast has everything. (laughs) Bunk beds, long distance truck drivers, bears. All right, well, let's just get this out of the way. um, Because this happened in episode two. Disembodied voices reading jailhouse letters. I'm going to go back to the the actual story in a second. But there is some like, and I think that you guys kind of nailed it. It's almost like some like Monday morning quarterbacking going on because basically the premise of this podcast is I am recalling my childhood. Is that the premise? Where my dad, it turns out, was a serial killer and I'm just going to reconnect with my mom. We're going to tell stories about what it was like to live with this guy. But now we know he's a serial killer. We didn't know that at the time. And they're basically trying to fit everything into the frame that ever happened into also the frame that he was also a serial killer. Does anybody actually here think that that guy was trying to use a bear as a murder weapon against his family? When he could just strangle everybody? Exactly. He was a very proficient murderer. He seemed to be very good at like just putting his elbow on people's necks and killing them, which is not funny, but it's what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But does it seem like Monday morning quarterbacking where they were trying to fit everything in that frame? I think he was yeah. a sadist and he was trying to scare the shit out of them. Right. But he wasn't trying to kill them with a bear, right? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. He would have had to try a little harder. He would have had to, you know, leave the trail like, of fish Leave the door slightly cabin. open. Yeah. yeah. Throw the fish in the cabin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> leave what? the keys in the door for the bear. He could have made it happen if he'd wanted to. It's like I Motel 6. They could have left scare the on. The thing about this podcast for me is it feels like a bus driving down the road with no driver. Right. It just, I don't know who's... <laughs> Who's directing this? They never say who no they di- are. They really they well. They, at, at the point. beginning, they did at they one do point. They said themselves. When they worked together the and they well, explained who they were. Yeah, a like you said, these are two producers on the Doctor Oz show. 
they're in that area about we're doing true crime Tuesday or whatever. Uh, what's is the, Melissa? Mi- Melissa's the subject, and Melissa, Lauren apparently. Melissa has her. written a book about this. Mm-hmm. She has done a TV show. A ton she, of media appearances. She, yeah, I mean, she has she has really squeezed a lot of the juice out of this fruit. Okay, and I don't think it knows what it wants to be. And I think there there is no presence of a host that is directing this and giving you context for anything that's going on. That's and that's my issue is that it feels like so Nexium, you know mm-hmm. the the uncover escaping Nexium was largely interviews with one subject telling her experience. That's what this is. It's largely interviews with one subject telling her experience. Except in Nexium, you sort of and I'm not saying you always need like a I'm so and so and this is so and so a frame. But this has nothing. It was mm-hmm. episode two when there's a narrator for like two minutes at the beginning. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's a narrator. But who is she? What is that? Like, yeah. Once again, it's just very disorienting. Um, but I do have just like one tiny sort of language quibble. And this again goes to the Monday morning quarterbacking thing. Where there's Monday morning quarterbacking with bad stuff, where like there's a fire two miles from the house that was definitely also dad trying to kill us. There was this, there was that, there was the presence, there was this. There's also this sort of like use of by the daughter, uh, Melissa, I guess her name is, which I only know because you wrote it down. Like I would not know that from listening to this podcast. I'm being straight with you. They say it like once in all the episodes you listen to. She keeps using this like like this um, framework of like why mom loved dad or why we were all together. Like he was a good provider. I'm like, this is 2018 and you are a young sounding woman. And like nobody says that. Like, what are you talking about? There's still a lot of that. Mm hmm. It's it's odd to me. Um, Laura, one other thing that uh, happened in episode one that I don't know if you were able to listen to this or not, that horrible, Uh-oh. horrible story around the cat. I couldn't listen to it. I fast forwarded well, through it. Do you think that was gratuitous? Yeah, that was, I hate, well, you know, anytime there's a cat scene. But then they didn't finish it and say like, <laughs> yeah, the cat was definitely dead. They just like moved on to something else. I'm like, so did it die? I'm assuming it died, but it just sort of like dropped off. You know, I think for me, part of this whole thing in terms of the context is we we find out, was it like episode two or episode three that the the murders actually happened between like when this girl was like 10 and 15 or something in a five-year period. And like, we're hearing all these memories from before that. And I'm like, I guess I kind of would like a little more context as to when these memories and these things are happening. Like, well, if he was killing the cat, like a few years before he killed his first person, he was building up to it or, you know, but that context wasn't there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we also hear Toby. Um, a lot of banjo. Well, yes. <laughs> okay. We never talked, by the way, the whole way back. Never said a word to each other. What is up with the random interjections of like the neo folk songs? I know Toby, that was your favorite part of the podcast, right? I. I yeah, <laughs> I don't even. I don't even know. Where to, the, the the last time I was like this flummoxed and dismayed by musical choices was uh, <laughs> that awful woman in uh, True Detective season two, who would just like be singing those mopey songs in that bar that they hung out in. <laughs> um, Toby's note about this podcast is a very short set of notes about this podcast is. If I have to hear that version of where did you sleep last night again, I don't know what I'll do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I also, I don't know, like going to the cat thing, 
Like, I, I even have questions about whether that actually happened. Mm. That seems like such a, a trope, mm. you know? It's just such a, it's such a perfect, like, stereotypical, oh, it's a serial killer, and there we, there, we had a kitten that we loved, and he killed it. Mm. Uh, can I point out one thing that I actually found was interesting, and I, I've please. heard before. And, please. please. Uh, okay. A, I think we can all agree this is a fucking hot mess of a podcast, <laughs> all right? Uh, Spoiler alert. All right, yeah. Here's one takeaway, and I've heard, I, I have heard it before, and this was a great example of it. When a, a criminal or somebody who's done something bad is explaining their actions, how you go from active voice to you get to the bad part, and it becomes passive voice. So you're talking about in uh, episode three, the sad, sad story of a serial killer told by the serial killer to an author that died no, before no. the interview him for this podcast. No, I'm talking about him in court. Oh, okay. Talking about what happened. Okay. And he said, I'm going to paraphrase it here. He said, I brought her to the house. Active. I opened the door for her. Active. I brought her in and showed her around. Active. I got her a glass of wine. Active. And then she was killed. Passive. You see that the way you doing he can't bring himself to take um, responsibility even in his grammar for doing it. Yeah. Right. And if you listen to a lot of uh, criminals describe their crime, that is actually something that happens. And I found that really interesting. It was a good example. of that. We're talking about Mindhunter stuff there. Right. I mean, I yeah. have seen, to be fair, when I look at our Facebook group and the thread about this podcast, like half the people listen to this podcast and our Facebook group, at least like. Fucking love this podcast. The other yeah. half are like, I don't get it. It's a hot mess. It's total bullshit. I think that the people who love it, I'm going to be generous here. I do think there's just a fascination with getting inside that mind or like uh-huh. any kind of peek behind the curtain to that mind. And we get that here. We hear that yeah. creepy narrator reading his creepy letters and what he did. We hear that kind of stuff. We hear the sad, sad, I was a sad child raised by horrible parents. I don't know about you, but I don't believe a fucking word of that guy's story that he told to that dead author because one thing we know about him is he's probably a liar. He's probably a psychopath. He's probably... Sound like his dad, though, was a piece of work, though. Yeah, he didn't sound yeah. like a... According Cause, cause to the, him. Because, no, according well, no, to... Well, no, because the wife, the wife confirmed that, too. She, she confirmed all the creepy things about him, yes. like always trying to have sex with her yes. and like... And so, she, you know, it was like, that it was like Drew Peterson's dad or whatever that guy yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I think that's right. But I think that's why people like this, right? Because they like that sort of peek into the mind. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I don't like how it's organized, but I find it very interesting to hear how they talk about him. And they talk like for me, the part that's interesting, how they talk about him in their family and they all still sort of laugh about things he did or they they try to sort of portray that period pre-serial killer in this sort of fantasy sort of light, which is interesting to see how, you know, this interpretation that they have of that time in their lives before he became a serial killer. So I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the appealing thing. And if there were some structure to this thing, yeah, like that stuff would be good. I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, there's just not a lot of there. There's a lot of music. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of folklore. So let's just do that thing we do. Let's just tell our listeners. I know that was a fairly quick review. Should they check out Happy Face? Thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm going to start with you, Laura Bricker. What do you think? I don't know. This might have to be like a thumb sideways one because, you know, 
I, I wouldn't say this is like the best thing I've ever listened to. It's probably not the worst thing I've ever listened to. God, this sounds so enlightening. But you know what? There are people out there. That if, if you don't mind that the story jumps around, if you know about this case before you start listening to this podcast, you're probably going to be able to follow it. If you don't, you're not going to be able to follow it. So I might do one more episode. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I don't even know what that was, but that's my <laughs> review. Uh, it, your review was a lot like this podcast, Laura Bricker. Toby Ball, <laughs> what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Happy Face? Uh, I think it's kind of lurid. I don't know. I, just a thumbs down. I, I I don't think there's much to recommend it. I am also going to give it a thumbs down. I think this podcast is like one of those weird 1970s like meditation albums that my mom used to listen to when she did <laughs> yoga in the front yard. Um, I think this podcast could have been made by one of those weird cult leaders who like got people to all rent a house together. Uh, it, I mean, it has that sound. It has that weird, trippy but not in a good way. Like, I don't even think smoking pot and listening to this podcast would be fun. I think even if I was smoking pot, I'd still be like, what the fuck am I listening to? <laughs> I am a straight up thumbs down for this super hot mess of a podcast, Happy Face. I don't know what I'm listening to. I don't know who the people are. If it's supposed to be smart, I guess I'm not smart enough to get it. Huge thumbs down for me. What about you, Kevin? Thumbs down. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. <laughs> Make dinner in as little as 20 minutes with quick and easy recipe <laughs> options and perfectly portioned ingredients delivered right to your door. It's been a long time since you hated something that much, Kevin. <laughs> Not the Blue Apron. Oh, the podcast. we freaking love Blue Apron. We had a Blue Apron before we recorded this podcast. We had one the other night. We, we had one tonight. We had one tonight. What did, we, what did you make tonight? It was a squash and beef over couscous mm-hmm. with like a yogurt Ooh, sauce and some yeah. delicious like zatar uh, seasoning. Oh, it was like delicious. And then last night we had those delicious the Korean dumplings. Korean or rice, rice cakes. cakes. Not a dumpling. Yeah. We had this delicious we had, Korean. We had Blue Apron dumplings last week. Yes. Which and, is fantastic. And last night we had this delicious Korean rice cakes over the uh, rice and beef it was fucking okay. delicious. I, it's right. fantastic. Blue Apron. Sold. Yeah, sold, right? Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash crime writers. Crime writers. I am so jealous of people who are going to get this blue, do this Blue Apron deal and get Blue Apron for the first time. Yeah, me the, too. Oh my God. It's like it's like a favorite movie you get to see all over again, but for the first time. But for the first time. Imagine you've never had Blue Apron before and you're just trying it now. Like your mind is going to be blown. Absolutely. It's that good. Absolutely. Uh, that's blueapron.com slash crime writers. Crime get writers. your first three meals free. Blue Apron, a way much better, better way, way to, to cook. cook. Blueapron.com slash crime writers. What else you got, Kevin? Well, Rebecca, the average American blasts their eyes with bright screens for 11 hours a day. I'm doing it with two right now. There's not much you can do to stop looking at a screen. Nope. Whether it's the little one in your hand or the big one on the desktop, but you can protect your eyes with a pair of Felix Grey glasses that are available with or without a prescription. Nice. I got my uh, Felix Grey glasses, the prescription lenses here. They filter out 90% of high-energy blue light and eliminate the glare coming off of all those screens, so that means no more 
tired, dry eyes. I sometimes will get like a headache in the middle of the day, and yeah. I think it's like, oh, my work is so stressful. Uh, but I've been looking at a screen yeah. for all this time, and I have to stressful. like. I have to like kind of you know look away and just look out the window for five minutes and reorient everything and a lot of that is just really the the stress that you're putting on your eyes and it like it's just a cascading mess after that and the Felix gray glasses fit your giant head they do they look good <laughs> handcrafted they look stylish they come in a lot of different styles Felix gray glasses are available in non-prescription prescription and readers and there's free shipping and free returns so you've really got nothing to lose don't go another day looking at screens without the help of some Felix Grays. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash crime to protect your peepers. That's Felix Gray, and that's G-R-A-Y, felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. Now it's time for a favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of, crime of the week. The week. It happened. In Toronto, dun, dun, dun. police say a man visiting Ripley's Aquarium made a splash when he stripped down naked and jumped in the shark tank. The stunt both thrilled and terrified onlookers as the double dog daredevil got out of the tank only to jump back in. Police say they were on the scene in less than seven minutes, but the skin diver had already made his escape. They're looking for a bald man, 5'10", 220 pounds, the leg tattoo, and a significant Shrinkage. <laughs> Cops aren't just seeking indecent exposure charges. They suspect the man may have been involved with an assault at a medieval times restaurant a couple of miles away. Oh, that makes total sense. <laughs> so, panel, neither man nor beast was harmed inside the Toronto tank. But what do you think the fish were thinking when this man plunged in? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Boy, they're really cutting corners on the lures these days. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Toby Ball, what do you think the fish were thinking when this man plunged into the tank? Is that a halibut or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Flynn, what about you? What were the fish thinking when this guy jumped in the tank? Uh, the fish said, wow, it looks like a penis, only smaller. <laughs> That's good. All right, we should probably edit on that. Now, before oh we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? No, we have a hamster of the week. What? Hey. Uh-huh. Wait. Gretchen Jones. Wait, 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 wait. Did you say hamster of the week? We have a hamster of the week. Okay. Right. Just checking. Um, so Gretchen Jones says, I would like to nominate Peaches as hamster of the week. Peaches joined our family after the untimely demise of our six-year-old's first hamster, Jelly. R.I.P. Jelly. Peaches has proven to have some sort of bizarre death wish where he escapes from his cage in the middle of the night and then bravely fights off our four cats. Last night, they colluded and the cats knocked his cage over. My husband and I have now rescued this guy four times between 2 to 4 a.m., desperate to keep him alive. Here's to living another day, Peaches. So, okay, I'm just going to say this. Peaches isn't escaping. Those cats are trying to kill him. Yes. A. And B, yes. there's no such thing as an untimely death of a hamster. Those things die all the fucking time. <laughs> well, we can investigate, perhaps. <laughs> all right, Laura Bricker, people want to send you their stupid little rodent pets to be cat of the week this week, <laughs> or perhaps a nice dog or an actual cat. How can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Joey Ball, people want to reach out to you and, uh, you know, give you a big hug for your love of the men in blue, which, by the way, I feel it too, even though we fought about it this week. How can they find you online? 
uh, at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, folks want to reach out to you and um, say, hey, that's just like a penis, but even smaller. How can they find you <laughs> online? <laughs> then I'm at Toby Ball NH. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you are at Kevin P. Flynn for the record. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you will get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Laura Bricker's Rage Walking True Crime Fitness Fun Group. You can also get a free month of Stitcher Premium if you go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime. Crime. When you join, you'll get access to Married with Podcasts, the show on which Kevin and I dispense advice on all kinds of things we're unqualified to talk about. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we plant dead fish with the hope we can use a roaming bear as a murder weapon. <laughs> on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later later i had a nice encounter with the police this week i i um accosted our police chief on the street because i am fired up about this intersection in town and making it safer for the wee children and uh he was very tolerant of my craziness so laura is you your know. life real <laughs> <laughs> here, here was my bad parenting moment of the day i was listening to serial i listened to it twice but the first time was at, like on the way taking will to school and he's like mom What's probation? <laughs> and I'm like, oh. I'm like, well. And it's I'm like, oh, my God. be on if you don't start doing your homework. I can put you in jail whenever I want. It's <laughs> <laughs> like they come and they make you pee in a cup. He's like, uh, but why? I'm like, to see if they have taken drugs. Oh, they can. Yep, they can do that. To see if you should be going to the orphanage or not. Do you want me to do it to you? <laughs> <laughs> The average American stares at bright screens for 11 hours a day. That's a lot. Now you can protect your eyes with a pair of Felix Grey glasses. They filter out blue light and eliminate glare without the yellow lens tint of other computer glasses. Felix Greys come in non-prescription, prescription, and readers, and they're stylish enough to wear anywhere. Get free shipping and free returns at felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.